This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's grabbing out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Brian Billick here for the Coaches Show podcast. No moots today, but I'm joined by former New England Patriots Heath Evans and William McGinnis to recap Championship Sunday and, of course, give our take on Richard Sherman's trash talking. Plus, I speak with Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis about losing his offensive and defensive coordinators and the progression of quarterback Andy Dalton. The Coaches Show podcast starts now. Well, this is great, Heath. I appreciate you joining us here on the Coaches Show podcast. We actually get a chance to talk a little football here. Let's begin with what we saw on Sunday, first, uh, was there anything that surprised you, or do we really have the the right two teams in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think it's I think it's easy to say it's it's the right two teams. I mean, obviously, you put San Fran and Seattle in a neutral site, and, and maybe you get a different outcome. But I definitely think Seattle's earned it. We know what Denver's done, and Peyton and the boys. So, uh, listen, you got one versus one. I don't think the NFL could ask for anything better. Yeah, and looking at the, let's start with the Denver and New England game. You know, we have such faith in Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. You know them very well from years in New England. I don't know if maybe it's a false hope we build. Well, they'll come up with something. When you look <laughs> at the matchups, it just didn't. You was hard right. to find a matchup that you really liked that favored New England. Well, yeah, no educated football mind could build a scenario out on paper in realistic football. Um, you know, matchups and say New England's going to win this game. You know, obviously you go back to the earlier matchup in the season down 24-0 and it was a story of, you know, first half mistakes by New England, a story of second half mistakes by Manning and the boys. Well, listen, it's Peyton and the boys were just the better team hands down and you, know, you always expect Bill and, and Brady to have a shot, which they do, um, but the better team won and that was that was clear yesterday. What, where do you, and obviously you, you, you've been around it, you've played against them, and obviously being a part of New England and with Tom Brady, and I'm, I've never liked the conversation about the greatest ever and this, that, and the other, but if, if Peyton Manning, because normally it's a slam dunk, Tom's got three, Peyton's got one, end yeah. of conversation, but if Peyton can get a second one, and that second one is with a second team, being the only quarterback in history to win a Super Bowl on two separate teams, does that uh, that changes the equation a little bit, doesn't it? It's it's a wrap. I mean, it, it's it's really a wrap because then you have all the mind staggering stats that that go with Peyton. You know, like you said, two different franchises, and then the way that he's done it with this franchise in two seasons. You know, Adam Gase gets credit. You know, um, last year Mike McCoy gets credit, and rightfully so. They've put in a lot of hard work, but we know the storyline here. Peyton came in; he was the tight end coach, he was the running back coach, he was the O line coach, he was the one putting into effect what he needed to win. And John Elway and the staff let him do it, and it's it's been a fun thing to watch. Um, I think the flip side of this is, Coach, is that if if somehow he doesn't play well and, and we see maybe even a, a Super Bowl 44 finish where he throws a pick six to Tracy Porter and my Saints you know walk away with the Lombardi, I almost think because the talent level around him is so grand and what's been placed around him, it could almost go the opposite direction. He wins, he walks away as the greatest ever, nobody argues it. If you lose, it's almost like he's been expected to win, so it could almost fight against him, in my opinion. Yeah, what, what, what have you done for me lately? Right. Let's talk, everybody's talking about it, and again, you would have an excellent perspective about the Wes Wilker uh, and the Aqib Tlaib injury, and, and Coach Belichick was very specific about feeling like uh, the league should get involved, he should be sanctioned, that it was willful. Uh, and I know you have a specific take on it. I looked at it, the play, in detail, 
And I got a tough time seeing, was it illegal? Yes. Was it purposeful? Was he trying to get a pick? Yes. Was he trying to hurt Akib Tlaib? I don't know that I see that. And, and just by the very common sense of Akib Tlaib is 6'1", 215, you know, Wes Welker's 5'8"-ish, 180 pounds, if, and, and coming off concussion, if I were going to try to get that done, I don't know that I would put that matchup together. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously you could do the math, and you've got DT, and you've got Decker, and even, you know, Caldwell you could throw out there in the mix and say, hey, you go get this done if it was purposeful and, and done with intent. I would just say this. You've got, I think there's the old school coaches, and then I think there's this new generation of coaches that maybe do things slightly different. And there's definitely old school players, which Wes falls into that breed. I mean, we've seen him crack back on Ray Lewis. We've seen him crack back on Brian Urlacher. We've seen him throw his body around with, you know, abandon, you know, with ease to, to help his team get a win. And so I don't think you can judge intent, but I can say this. I've seen Wes Welker run that same play a thousand times in my days in New England with him, and I've seen him get that defender to stutter his feet, and then Wes makes him miss without ever touching him. And so when I look at that kind of right shoulder dip or lead, whatever you want to call it, that's the one that leaves me saying, man, John Fox, old school, tough, grinded out defense. Jack Del Rio, we know what he brought to the, brought to the table with all his defenses for a year. And then you throw Wes Welker, you, you say, man, this is just this mentality of like, hey, we take a key out of this game. This game is over and done with. I was screaming that all last week, and that's exactly what happened. So intent to me doesn't matter. The game's over. The better team won. But I'd, I'd be I'd be remiss if I said Bill didn't have a point here. Well, we're joined by Willie McGinnis, another former New England Patriot. You guys are the perfect one to ask because, uh, you know, obviously Bill Belichick, in my opinion, forget the five-year uh, retire. Just give him the Hall of Fame jacket right now. This may be, uh, I won't even say me, greatest coach in the history of the game. But Bill Belichick, the general manager, doesn't Bill Belichick, the coach, and Robert Kraft need to fire Bill Belichick, the general manager? Because some of the personnel moves that have left, I realize a lot got thrown at them during the course of the year, but um, I, I question Bill, as brilliant as a coach, I question some of the personnel things. Is that part of the deal? Is that fair, or you guys see it differently? Willie, well, I'll let I you mean, take this one, buddy. strategy when you're talking about the Patriots and how they go about drafting players in the free agent market. And uh, if you look at the trend, how they've been successful, it hasn't been with, you know, first-round picks and, and guys that they're going to top five, top ten picks. Um, it's kind of become a trend that they've traded down and traded out of the first round to gather more picks, uh, you know, going forward. Now, that is a question, Coach, you bring up, important uh, point. You know, how long can you win uh, at a certain level with Guys, you know, just just guys that uh, you think you can you, you can put in the system, and these guys can uh, can overcome what happened, you know, yesterday. Hey, uh, let me think, let me ask you. And, and obviously, when you got Tom Brady pulling the trigger, you can play this money ball kind of mentality. But at some point, doesn't Brady say to Bill, "Hey, give me some guys in here. I need some legitimate receivers. If you've got to use a first-round draft choice or spend some free agency money, let's do it. Well, I have no doubt that those conversations are taking place. I mean, there's I mean, Will, we would probably second the motion. I mean, talk about great competitors. Brady falls into that mix. And so I know he was sad to see West go last year. I mean, some of these experiments of, you know, Willie, you know, you go back in 05, just, you know, wanted to stay. And so we've all, I mean, myself in 08, you know, there's just the way they do business. But, yeah, I mean, you've got to have players to win championships. And, 
you know, I, I agree with you with Bill, the coach, you can't argue with it. Um, you know, even draft picks, a uh, uh, Ryan Logan, yeah, he ends up with five interceptions this year, but you know, that there was questions about some of those picks and, you know, who am I to question Bill Belichick? But the truth is it does at times you leave your uh, self scratching your head saying, you know, what about this? What about that? And eventually, eventually, I don't know when or where you could say it happened yesterday. Um, it's going to catch up to you. But he, you make a, you make a point. You mentioned Wes Walker. Well, Wes wasn't him. Wes, Wes wasn't a household name. I'm with you. I agree, pal. When he came, when he came to New England, I right? Mean, he, he was made in that system. That you know, the David Givens, the Troy Browns, those guys weren't like top five, top ten picks. Yep. When they came to New England, I mean, these guys, these guys kind of transformed within that system. So maybe, you know. They're kind of they're kind of stuck in their ways on how they can put players in certain systems and develop them. We talk about look at Julia Edelman. Here's a guy who you know had over a hundred receptions this year. Yeah. Um, you know a, a guy who was was a backup until he got his opportunity. So I think they believe in the way they're trying to develop and and and, and bring players along. But at the same time, to play this game at a high level on a consistent basis. You do need those thoroughbreds on offense. You do need those thoroughbreds on defense because the league is becoming a lot more competitive, and it's hard to win games week in and week out when you say trying to find ways to win. You've got to have those athletes that can make those impact plays in crucial situations that has nothing to do, you know, with how low or, or, or how high you were drafted, but – the best athlete in certain situations in these games are going to win. Let's, yeah. let's move on to I'm interested in your all's take on the whole Richard Sherman thing uh, after the game. You know, obviously uh, you, you never want to trample on a man's passion and it's an emotional game, but, boy, it was uh, that post, uh, post-game news conference <laughs> was, uh, you know, a little strange to say the very Dennis Rodman-like. <laughs> wow. uh, and then, but I, I was less bothered by that than I was the Anik are going up and tapping um, uh, Crabtree on the butt. I, I just, it's hard for me to see. I've had some really great, competitive, passionate players with Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and John Randall when I was in uh, Minnesota. I, these are Hall of Famers. I, I got a tough time seeing a Hall of Famer doing something like that. What's your take on the Richard Sherman thing? Uh, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Coach. It's you know, we talk about old school coaches and old school players, and, and I listen. You beat somebody, uh, win like a man, lose like a man. Obviously, this different, you know, this younger generation. I don't think grew up in the league the way Willie and I did, and probably the way that you reared a lot of your teams. And so, I think there is a level of disrespect that we call swagger now that um, is is unneeded. I would say this, you know, to Richard Sherman, he he constantly backs it up. Now, I have two areas. I mean, a you just won the NFC Championship at home what a special year and now all we're talking about is the antics of one player and taking away from the team which I can't stand and then two I have no problem you speaking your mind but don't be ignorant or stupid in the fact of calling Crabtree uh, all the, the the different verbiage that he, he talked about his skill set that he's average he's this he's that let's be honest I mean Crabtree is is becoming a phenomenal wide receiver and it looks like he's going to be for a while so give the man his props and say hey I owned you I handled my business I got the best of you all that's true but don't make yourself look foolish by speaking um, about the man's playing talent and ability that then it turned back around on you kind of like this is this is just showman that you're doing this for you and it's not even really truth or the way you feel. Yeah, Willie, is that something Pete Carroll needs to kind of rein in a little bit? 
Well, I mean, this is the identity, and this is this is the kind of the attitude of this team. But you know, let me give you a little more insight because a lot of people are don't really understand what went on in this entire situation. I'm I'm I'm, I'm close to Sherman, his brother, and a lot of the guys on that team, and. You know, I got some buddies on the opposite team as well. This, this, this has this started a while ago in the social media. Whether it was on Twitter, whether it was at a, a, a charity event before the off season, like these guys had beef. They had issues already. A lot of the guys on both sides of this team, the 49ers and uh, on the Seattle Seahawks, have been going back and forth all week long, as they do on social media. Uh, disrespecting one another, talking trash to one another. So this is something now we're seeing the end of it uh, from one side. And I understand that we know that, that Sherman is outspoken. We know that he doesn't bite his tongue. But a lot of times when he goes off or, or, or he rashes or he out on someone, it's because of something that took place prior to what we see in the game or after the game concludes. So... I, I'm not taking sides. I never do. I wasn't at the game, but I do know a lot of this, a lot of the talk, a lot of the trash talking, a lot of the disrespecting took prior before the game during the week. Had a lot of guys drawing at each other. And it wasn't just those two guys. It was a lot of different guys going back and forth at each other. They have a history of not liking each other. And you're right. When you win a game. And, and from what I hear, Sherman was mic'd up, and he said, you can check the tape. He went over and said, good game. And then he tapped him on the butt again and said, good game, and, and Crabtree pushed him in the face. Now, can we check that tape? I mean, we did it with Des Bryant. when We, we didn't know what was going on or whatever. But he was emotional. He was outspoken. They had gotten into it before, and – he has to learn to bottle some of that because, like you said, it was on a huge stage, the NFC Championship. Um, you have to be able to, 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 to respect your opponent. As, as much as you don't like a guy or you don't respect a guy and you think you're that much better than him, which, Heath, you're right. He is an up-and-coming uh, receiver in this league. He has a, a, a high, a huge skill, skill set. He can do a lot of different things. And, he, and he's one of the better receivers. He makes some big plays. So that's the fact. But the other things that went on, like it's, you know, we have to understand this stuff started before the game, even before one, one play was snapped in that game. So I'll ask again, he, should, should Pete Carroll step in or just let this thing play itself out? Well, you know, what, if I'm the coach, if I'm Pete Carroll, yeah, I step in because I want the attention on the team. I mean, I was – raised in this league one way now pete has chosen to allow his boys to kind of be them which i i I agree with that i don't think you ever want to harness a a player's personality until it takes away from the team or it's representing your organization in a fashion that's not beneficial to the organization and this is where i would say yeah he has crossed the line because it's taking away from the common good of the team in my opinion but uh i'm not sure pete will if that answers your question yeah (laughs) Well, we're, we're, we're all going to get sick and tired over the next two weeks reanalyzing and analyzing this game, but just uh, I don't get a chance to, to get with you guys enough. Give me, give me your take on this matchup. Which way you think it's going, Willie? I think it's a great matchup. I picked Seattle in the beginning of the season to go to the Super Bowl. Um, the, the consensus, everybody else picked Denver on the AFC. I think it's a great matchup. 
on the DBs versus the receivers. I think these receivers look forward to the challenge. So does the DBs. I think the problem we're going to have is when you're able to have that tight coverage, and Peyton Manning, he has the onus of making these adjustments, and he's going to have to, he's going to, have to figure out a way, which he normally does. He's one of the smartest and one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played the game. But these guys don't have to switch sides. These guys don't have to match up on certain guys. They have enough guys where they can line up on each side and, and play their defenses. They can go into a man, a zero, uh, a one coverage. They can line up. And unlike Kansas City, you know, was able to do when they played against uh, the Denver Broncos, the problem's going to lay in the front seven of these defensive linemen. Peyton Manning, when he gets that, that tight coverage from the DBs, he goes to his rub routes, to his crossing routes, uh, you know, to those quick throws. If these guys press, he's not going to have that much time to wait for some of these routes to develop because they have an enormous presence in that middle of that front seven, the D-line, where they can get pressure right up the gut right away. We saw that with, with me, Bang, with Bennett, McDaniel, Red Bryant. And then on the outside, I mean, he's got some of the best pass rushers, and I just don't think that Peyton Manning, outside of the preseason, which they beat him 40-10, to 10, and Peyton didn't play but, what, a half, um, he hasn't seen a group like this before. Um, so I think, you know, I picked Seattle to take it all at the beginning of the season. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with that pick, but there are some problems that lay, um, you know, offensively for the Denver Broncos that they're going to have to figure out and then, you know, offensively, they're going to stick to their game plan. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated in seeing that matchup. I think the one thing that I will be watching for, though, this is the biggest receiving core mm. that that defensive group in Seattle has seen. Outside of Wes Welker, who presents a whole different problem, Julius Thomas, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker are as big a group as this big physical group has seen. I'm going to be interested to see how that matchup. Heath, what do you think? Well, you know, and that's kind of the interesting point as well, and I agree with everything Willie said. I think we both picked the same two teams for the Super Bowl. I said early that I think Seattle and Denver don't play during the regular season, but Seattle will be Denver's kryptonite. Um, I like the big size matchup. I mean, Eric Decker, I think, can be very average at times. You press him, he's going to struggle. We've seen DT struggle trying to get off presses and jams. Um, you know, everything Willie said about the shallow crossers, the chips, the rubs, they're all going to be there. But, I mean, listen, Willie stole all the good ammo because bottom line is the one thing New England couldn't do yesterday, they could not hit Peyton Manning. And the one thing we know Seattle will do, we saw it yesterday versus a very mobile athletic quarterback, they're going to hit your quarterback. Peyton doesn't like it. We saw what Mathis was able to do to him in one big hit. It shook him. It rattled him. He wasn't the same after that earlier in the season in Indianapolis. And so my money's on the Seahawks. I just think speed, athleticism. If if Seattle is lucky enough to get KJ right back for this game, uh, we saw him earlier in the year on Jimmy Graham at times do a phenomenal job. When you can put linebackers on skill, speed set, wide receiver, tight ends, matchups become truly in the favor of the defense. And so um, we're going to see how it all shakes out. But I don't think this one's going to fare well for Peyton Manning and his crew. And coach, you mentioned coach, you mentioned the smaller receiver, Wes Walker. Well, Thurman and Maxwell are smaller DBs, and I think you know Peyton has the knack for finding the mismatches. But these guys are aggressive, and the pass rush makes up for the time or for the lack of having another Absolutely. guy. But like he just mentioned, KJ Wright covered Jimmy Graham out all over the field. 
So you can line up there. And then the other thing uh, that's, that's really interesting is that offense for the Seattle Seahawks. Percy Harvin will be playing in the Super Bowl. Absolutely. That'll add a whole other dimension to it. It's going to be fun watching anyway. Well, we'll reconvene on this uh, next week, guys. We'll have a chance to talk about it a lot. I also had a chance to visit with Marvin Lewis, head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, as he was down in the Senior Bowl. Uh, and uh, Marvin had a lot to say. Well, Coach Lewis, I appreciate you joining us from, from the uh, Senior Bowl. Let's begin with, uh, obviously, unique situation where you lose all, both your coordinators uh, to head jobs, which I know, obviously, you feel very good about with Jay Gruden going to Washington and uh, Mike Zimmer going to, to Minnesota. Talk about the process you, you promoted from within in both instances. Well, we, you know, I, I guess as time has gone on and uh, we've tried to keep developing the guys on the staff, um, that uh, when these opportunities would occur with these particular coaches, that we would have somebody in place uh, if we felt they were qualified and ready to go and ready to do it. And in both cases, very fortunate to have Hugh Jackson on offense and uh, Paul Gunther, who's been with me there for the last five, six years on defense. And uh, so knowing what we're doing offensively, defensively, uh, the direction that I want to continue to work through, and then able to put some of their own influence on it as we move forward. Yeah, to the to the naked eye, to the casual fan, where, will there be a tangible difference in your mind in term beyond just the normal progression of your players getting better, but with obviously with uh, with these coordinators coming in, putting their fingerprints on, it, so to speak, to the casual yeah, fan, be much of a difference. I, I, I think no question about that, Brian. I think uh, you know, I think in use, uh, uh, you know, his vision is that we continue to move forward, uh, really continue to package the run game and the pass game together, uh, that we continue to. to to get the hands in the in the uh, our playmakers' hands that we have on offense, and I think flipping it over to the defensive uh, side of the of thing, I think to try to continue to utilize all the guys we have on defense and try to you know cut out roles for them and so forth that way, carve out roles and niches uh, that way for them and continue to move forward. You know, I want to uh, you know you got to change each year in the NFL, and uh, and if we so we're not going to be able to be stagnant. Let's talk about that change in the NFL. I always loved looking at the four teams that played in the championship games. We had a great championship weekend to try to say, okay, what does that say about us as a league and we're going? Do you draw anything from the four teams and the games that were played on the weekend? Well, I think if you look at the AFC teams, you see uh, teams led by two uh, just exceptional quarterbacks that love to spread the field and to try to isolate by coverage and looking at the coverage, splitting it in half and seeing, okay, they're playing zone here, so we got this concept on this side, so that's the side we're working, or they're in man-to-man, so we're going to work this concept side. And those guys do a tremendous job, so your disguise and so forth defensively has got to be such a big part of it. And then, you know, if, and if, you, and if, you, if you spread out too far, they can run the ball right, up, right at you up the field. And then you look at the, the NFC guys and two young athletic quarterbacks that make so many plays with their legs and on the move, and uh, with two big, strong running backs and gap blocking and both combining both the gap blocking and the zone blocking. And then you look at the defensive side uh, where both explosive front sevens, both sides of the ball, and, uh, you know, and that's the way it played out as a, somewhat of a defensive struggle. Have we changed, or, and I'd be interested in your perspective, coming particularly from the defensive perspective, has the league changed? I've always said if you're going to win a championship, you have to do it from the pocket. Running around's all well and good, but – is that changing, or do you still think that's where you've got to win a championship from? I don't know that you can sustain it year after year. I think you can, uh, you can make a splash 
from running around a little bit, but I don't know if it's sustainable because I, I think your guy's going to get beat up. And that obviously is a huge difference in terms of you got to be take heart by the fact that uh, so many good defenses this year and the fact that running the ball and playing defense in the age of the quarterback kind of came back into vogue. Yeah, it, it's still, you know, at the end of the day, if you watch the two weeks ago, uh, Denver against San Diego and how important that was in the New England game and the division round, how important those things are. And it's still going to, you know, it's going to play out that way. You, you can't be one dimensional. And if you, if you can run the football and play good defense, you minimize your opportunity, your, your, your chances of turning the football over. Well, you're down the senior bowl, obviously getting your first look at the college athletes coming up, getting ready for the draft. If you could put kind of an overall sweeping wish list together for the Cincinnati Bengals, what would you like to come out of the May draft with? Well, I, you know, I, I would say early in the draft, we have an opportunity to still impact our team, uh, whether it be up front either side of the football. Uh, you know, defensively, I think we could, you know, we could hit any of the three spots, whether it be D-line, linebacker, uh, secondary, and then uh, offensively, you know, we really would look strong uh, up front and see uh, that. Uh, you know, I don't see us for see us taking a, a receiver high or anything like that, or a quarterback high. But uh, but I think the other positions on offense would would come into play where we're drafting at 24. You know, those are the kind of guys you're looking at. All right, coach, I appreciate appreciate you taking the time, and we look forward to seeing you down the road. Okay, coach, good to talk to you. Well, I want to make, thank Keith Evans, Willie McGinnis, and, of course, Marvin Lewis for joining me here on the Coach Show podcast. That'll do it for our podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and join us again next week. Thanks for listening.